0: Hi and welcome to Seen and Heard. My name is Allison Tristo and I'm the community field representative at Western United Dairies. Today's episode is going to look a little different. We have our ec- economist Tiffany Lamandola, as well as two of her colleagues Shelby Myers and Jake Kingsley on to give an extended market update. So I'm going to let them introduce themselves and their rules at Everag and let them take it away. turning your wastewater liabilities into sustainable assets. Learn more at bennett-environmental.com. Are you tired of hearing that the main way to save water
1: is fallowing? Are you tired of seeing articles about how alfalfa and corn waste water? At Common Good Water, we combine the best-in-class subsurface drip system and precision crop management services, including pest control. Our verification program qualifies for public funding and we wanna help you continue farming in California. Contact your groundwater sustainability agency and ask how you can work with Common Good Water. Visit commongoodwater.com.
0: All righty, Shelby, we'll go ahead and start with you. Well, I really appreciate
1: the opportunity to be here today. My name is Shelby Myers. I am the Grain Market Intelligence Director for EverAg Insights. I think that's a fancy way of just saying I'm our in-house economist on all things grains. And uh, today, really wanted to take an opportunity to talk about what's happening in the grain markets. Um, I know with particularly on the corn side, we're seeing so much uh, volatility in the last couple of days, and it's kind of made us question of what the heck is going on and uh, what can we expect. So wanted to take a moment to break down where we are today on corn and soybeans and what can make those prices go higher in the next couple of months and what can make them go lower. And I know one of the things too, we're going to talk kind of back and forth between old crop and new crop and how all of those Changes throughout the growing season can really influence uh, the price that we'll see uh, going forward. So, leading off with of corn, you know, I think what we saw over the last couple of days, particularly on reactions to what's happening on the old crop side, old crop, we're always talking about at this point in time what's going on in demand. So, for corn, obviously feed use, but also what's happening in the export arena and what's happening on ethanol um, are probably the three big buckets of, for old crop that's going to drive the price there because we've already set supply, right? Um, so, you know, for for old crop, we haven't really seen the export activity that we'd like to see um, going forward. We're still running at a pace below what's needed to meet the USDA WASDI target and have really just seen lackluster corn purchases out on the global market for U.S. corn. And so if we don't have uh, a lot of global purchasers set up to buy U.S. corn, that's going to, you know, obviously less less demand increases our ending stocks and that's going to increase the price there. So that was some of the market volatility we saw. Um, we have weather that's looking better for the U.S. The U.S. drought monitor last week showed a lot of substantial improvement uh, throughout particularly the eastern corn belt so we're sitting in a in an arena where we we have that demand sector doing what it's doing and we're kind of setting up to talk about the new crop and what potential new crop changes could have for um for a really big crop for good uh, good one, good crops. so um All of that culminated to last Thursday, we had USDA's Ag Outlook Forum present some first looks at what the 2023 new crop could look like, and they came in with a pretty big acreage estimate for uh, for U.S. corn planting at 91 million acres, up 3% from last year to the most corn acres we would have since 2014. Uh, we also have a really big trend line yield that was presented at the same forum. And so um, USDA has that pegged at 181.5 bushels per acre. Uh, keep in mind we run over the past five years an average of 173.1 per acre. Um, and so if we hit trendline yield plus big acres, we have an abundant supply. We push over 15 billion bushels and you know, demand, whether it's new crop demand or old crop demand, if it's not there to eat up that supply and take that uh, offhand, we'll start start to see ending stocks rise. And that's where influence and price occurs. Uh, And finally, you know, the market sometimes doesn't do well in this four year corn cycle that we see where we're at, we're at the year four, at the tail end of the corn cycle. And if you take um, the last four 4 year corn cycles, um, this is about the time that we start to see corn price um, get really volatile and start to see uh, the decline. So um, that's kind of where we are now and why we saw the volatility. Some things that can make corn price go higher that really we should keep an eye on. Um, big thing is the weather in South America. If Drought continues to hinder corn production in Argentina um, and drought, uh, not necessarily drought, but uh, the Brazil forecast is nearly perfect right now, but have delays from rain have really pushed Brazil's second corn crop, that safrina crop that you might have heard of. Uh, if that gets planted outside of that ideal window um, and they have a lessened supply, we could see the corn price go higher. Um, the other thing too, if U.S. planting season gets off to a really slow start. Um, We could certainly see the corn price move higher because of that. Um, uh, One other thing just to really keep an eye on for for all the commodities, you'll hear me talk about it quite often, is that the U.S. dollar plays a really big role in uh, global demand for U.S. commodities because if the U.S. dollar weakens, U.S. exports become cheaper. And so that really drives the ability for Uh, demand to be uh, more appealing on the global market, if you will. Uh, Some big things to watch for corn price to go lower is that corn exports continue to disappoint. U.S. needs China and Mexico to show up to buy corn, and if they don't, that'll that'll lead to an increase in ending stocks, which will lower the corn price. Um, The other thing to really watch is interest rates right now. It costs a lot of money to hold any kind of inventory. So, you know, $6 corn sitting in a bin plus interest rate could really uh, cost a lot of money. So there's there's this incentive to offload corn as we move forward. Uh, that's, that's the quick corn situation. If we turn to soybean and soy meal, um, very similar macroeconomic aspects there, you know, the dollar is obviously gonna be an important piece, especially because uh, you know, soybean demand really thrives on exports. Um, but where we are right now is that the exports are kind of moving slower in 2022 than really the pace for uh, soybean exports really needs it to do uh, in order to reach that USDA WASD estimate. Um, it, the other thing that, you know, I think we could, we could label soybeans as being steady. They're kind of meeting expectations, especially on the new crop and USDA's estimate last week at the Ag Outlook forum uh, said as much as well, putting acreage at 87 and acres meeting what we did in 2022. So not that USDA doesn't expect any new soybean acres to come online, uh, but they do expect a slight bump in yield about um, two and a half bushels per acre. So, you know, a slight increase in that new crop supply um, which could slightly increase ending stocks if all things remain equal for that new crop. Um, what could make soybean prices go higher? If we jump back into some of the weather woes, you know, Argentina's drought continues to destroy soybean production down there. Um, say it, it continues to lower um, and that global supply of soybeans continues to lower, that could cause soybean prices to go higher. Um, you know, there's talk that Brazil is able to compensate the losses it's having in soybean yields for drought areas, particularly in the Rio Grande do Sol. Uh, if they're able to, to actually maintain that, um, or maybe they don't, and we see supply lower even further, soybean prices could go higher, um. The other thing that we're keeping an eye on and especially in the soybean world is China. Uh, In order for the soybean price to go higher, China's economic rebound from COVID has to be, has to continue to be big. And now that they're back on the global markets, they're back to normal activity. They're back to normal, you know, trying to get to normal purchases, all of that. If China comes in with big U.S. soybean purchases, uh, that could help soybean price go higher making the soybean price go lower. Uh, I'm going to point to China again. Really, if China retaliates with fewer soybean purchases because U.S.-China relations continue to sour, um, you've got the U.S. threatening China with WTO issues and uh, other trade issues that we've had since 2016, 2017. Um, If those relations continue to sour, we could see China decide to back off purchases of US soybeans and turn to what could be a cheaper product from Brazil uh, in what they're producing down there. Um, That could certainly make the soybean price go lower because US ending stocks would increase. Um, The other thing to watch on the soybean price, particularly new crop and old crop is what soy crush does. Um, As we continue to see an increase in soy crush, for demand to the renewable diesel markets. Um, you know We're at record high estimates for soy crush. If those come to fruition, we're eating up a lot of that demand. If they don't and that falls flat, uh, we could certainly see the soybean price go lower. Uh, And so that's kind of where we're at on both the soybean and corn front on uh, that landscape and how a couple big unknowns can really change the price from week to week and, and where we're seeing that volatility.
2: Okay, thank you for that, Allison. Um, I'm Jake Kingsley, our director of feed procurement here at EverAg. So I talk all things basis and cash feed prices uh, with a lot of our clients. And I think, Shelby, you did a good job of covering uh, the macros here and and the effects on the future side of the feed price. I think a lot of what you have said plays right into the basis conversation as well. We've seen historically high old crop corn basis, like you said, for the last couple of years, Uh, particularly in the West. They seem to be getting the worst of it with additional freight costs and a lack of production in the Plains states where a lot of their corn is sourced. Um, We have seen some benefit here recently with this lack of an export market. Um, Basis has started to drift lower. We're still at historically high values, uh, but We've come off of the top um, in a lot of places, and I think we could see that continue to trend lower if we get some decent weather to really get this safrina crop in Brazil off to a good start and uh, some good production there. But as you said, there's there's risk there if that crop starts to falter in a meaningful way. Um, and China and others have to come back into the US market for some product kind of out of their normal cycle. Uh, I think we could see this basis number start to perk back up pretty quickly. Um, ethanol numbers have been somewhat steady. So that's that's kept our folks in the Midwest a little higher than they would probably like to be. Um, but we're starting to see some of those numbers cool off a little bit here. And interesting enough, we're seeing some new crop basis numbers start to pop up around the country earlier than I think would be normal and certainly earlier than I would have anticipated for this year with as tight of a balance sheet as we've got to wrap up this old crop year Um, and with as many unknowns as there are still heading into the new crop year Um, so we're seeing some numbers for new crop float around. They're still, particularly in the rail dependent markets, they're probably 60 cents higher than what you'd call historically average. I think if things go well and we get some good production again out of Brazil on their second crop and then a good planting season here in the US, you could see you could see most of that premium erode. I mean, I think freight costs are still higher than historically, we would like them to be and they're probably not going to go down a whole lot but you could see a lot of that premium come out maybe to the tune of 40 or 50 cents even i think i'd start looking at making some purchases if we come off another 40 cents in new crop basis that Is the way we're working with a lot of our clients here um, so some patience there i think is well warranted um, and then on the protein side of things We've been pretty firm and I think we're going to stay fairly firm here um, until we confirm what's happening in Argentina with the dry weather, as you talked, and and China now turning some demand to Brazil. Are they able to offset that to a strong enough degree that that our balance sheets are left alone or do they yet again come in in a sort of an off cycle and buy some product from us because they can't get what they need out of Argentina? So. I think old crop's gonna stay relatively firm. We've seen, thankfully, the Canadian canola balance sheet improve uh, quite dramatically over what they were anticipating, but again, uh, there's some factors around the globe with the Ukrainian war losing out on a lot of their sun meal production, um, that China could be coming in to buy some sort of out-of-cycle purchases in that part of the world, too. So. Um, We've been kind of hand to mouth in the protein market, and I think it's gonna stay that way until we get a new crop coming off here in the US, and we'd have to have some pretty good weather to really um get these balance sheets back to a comfortable spot on the protein side, but we are adding crush capacity in the US. Um and so long term I think basis can see a breakdown, but we we've again we've got a lot of unknowns between now and and our harvest period here that we're going to have to answer quite a few questions for us to be a meaningful drop in, in protein basis here. Um, we're not seeing quite as many new crop offers on soybean meal and canola. And if you do see them, they're pretty well right in line with what you could buy spot today. Um, so even more reason to kind of just be patient on that side of, of your feed buying needs. Um, We are getting a little bit of a break in uh, forages and fiber products as the West, pretty well from the Plain States on over to California, have caught some decent precipitation. I know parts of California have gotten their first cuttings of alfalfa off. They are pretty optimistic about their winter wheatlage or triticale crop um, and they think they've got enough water to have a decent corn silage crop and same is true here in the plain states in texas and kansas and nebraska those guys have started to catch a little bit of precipitation allow their wheat crop to perk up a little bit Uh, that'll allow some cattle to go out to graze and uh, potentially put up a little bit of wheatlage here this year that they didn't have last year so um, that's looking to be a, a, positive impact on, on, uh, for the feed buyer in the coming year, as well as, uh, we've seen cottonseed prices, soy hole prices, uh, some of these other fiber alternatives start to drift lower as folks prep for an incoming forage crop here in the next couple months. So I think, um, there's some buying opportunities for folks that, ha- that are still open, um, for the rest of this crop year. But again, patience on the new crop year as, as values still have quite a bit of a uh, risk premium built into them. I think just as a uh, insurance factor, everybody's still reeling from the last couple of years of high prices. So, they're not ready to stick their neck out too far and offer just a great deal on some of these products, but they are starting to float some numbers around. So, a little bit of patience there. I think as we kind of prove out some of these crops and and ensure that we do have the product we're planning on having this spring, you'll see some, some much better breaks in values and then we can take advantage of a little bit of that there.
0: Alrighty, Tiffany, we'll go ahead and move on to your report.
3: Thanks, Allison. Uh, this is Tiffany Lamandola I'm the vice president of risk management for EverAg, probably the more familiar name uh, from the company. But I really appreciate my colleagues, Shelby and Jake joining me today. Um, obviously, the feed cost side of the equation for our dairy producers here in California is is extremely vital, and um, it looks like we're in for a volatile few months. Uh, so, I really want to encourage everybody to reach out to our team if you have questions. Uh, they're they're an amazing resource. So, uh, that was a grain piece. Let's move over to milk now, and um, I I sort of structured my thoughts around kind of the top five factors we're watching from a supply perspective and the top five factors we're watching from a demand perspective. So obviously, supply, we're keeping an eye on our domestic production here. Uh, We did get a milk production report last week for the month of January. The uh, top 24 states came in up 1.3%. That was a little bit higher than our model, which was running at 1%. It was the best showing we have seen in about five or six months. I will say, though, that it was against a pretty weak comp or a weak comparable of January last year. Even so, um, best showing we've seen for a while. So uh, we will we'll um, take that as it is. I would say the the biggest uh, impacts or the biggest increases come out of the same regions that we've seen for quite some time now, mostly in the Midwest. We had Uh, You know, areas like South Dakota up almost 9%, Iowa up 7%, Texas, Kansas, um, Idaho, Uh, California. uh, Obviously, everybody here remembers the, I don't know, four or five atmospheric rivers (laughs) that hit our state uh, during the month. Uh, We were able to hold steady year over year in in milk production, again, against a pretty weak comp, um, steady nonetheless. Probably more notable is over on the cow number side as we continue to watch and what our cow power potential, if you will, is for 2023. Um, You know, we had a few months of USDA pulling cow numbers down in November and December. January reversed that trend and we moved higher uh, in cow numbers for the month. That put our herd at Plus 38,000 head over last year. So that's the biggest margin we've seen since uh, summer of 2021. So a few more cows in the herd. Um, However, as we kind of look at some of the data a little further out in the weeds, um, our dairy replacement heifer inventory is really low. So to the extent that we can keep building the herd, that Those numbers definitely aren't gonna help. We're um, at the lowest levels of replacement inventory that we've seen since about 2007. Um, Another thing we've been really watching is slaughter data. Uh, For the month of January, we were running pretty high up about 14% year over year. Um, So we are seeing a few more uh, cows go that route. And then more in the here and now, I would say, um, we anticipate areas like the Midwest to continue showing some pretty strong production numbers um, to the extent anecdotal data, as well as weekly Midwest spot milk price data that we get. Um, we're still seeing quite a bit of milk out there and it's trading for six to $10 under the class three price. So still some extra milk. It's moving pretty cheap. Cheese manufacturers in particular and some balancing plants in the Midwest that have room are able to get that milk and make products pretty cheap. Moving beyond the US, um, we're also seeing the other major milk producing regions in the world up in milk production. This is not something we had to contend with in 2022. Um, All major milk producing regions were down. But for January, the US, as I just mentioned, was up 1.3. New Zealand also registered their first gain in quite some time, up about 1% there as well. And then probably more notable is that the EU has been running in positive territory as well. They were up about a percentage point in January. And you might think, gosh, that doesn't seem like very much. Um, but friendly reminder, the EU, although they're smaller farms, there is a lot of them, and they're about 1.6 times the size of U.S. milk production. So we're talking about a lot of milk. And in terms of their size against New Zealand, they run about seven times the size of New Zealand's output. So little changes in there meet a lot for the world market. And that's certainly been some of the pressure we've seen on prices lately as they have been been more aggressive um, as they have more product to move. Finally, on the supply side, builds off my colleagues comments around grains. All eyes are on producer margins right now. Um, Obviously the costs here in the beginning of the year are pretty much set. Folks have put a lot of their, you know, silage away at last year's prices. They've probably some have already bought some expensive feed. So these break in grain markets may not bring us immediate, uh, relief, but certainly as we look out further in the year, they could, they're going to be extremely vital in how things look at the dairy. Um, right now, margins are not looking very stellar, stellar, especially for California dairymen. We have seen milk prices come down and feed costs still stay pretty high here up and then more nearby. I think as a result, we've seen some more dispersal sales, um, we've definitely seen those higher slaughter rates i mean obviously record high cattle prices are probably providing a or paving a bit of an exit ramp for some guys there as well um, but all eyes will be on um and you know, further out certainly what happens in the grain markets so Um, Keep a close eye on there. I would say, you know, if grain comes off significantly moving into the latter part of year, that could really change folks into, you know, expectations around milk supply. Right now, the thought is that margin squeeze up front will mean less milk later in the year. Um, But if we see some um, big relief on that side, that could could alter the trajectory of milk prices later in the year. So big watch out there. Moving over to the demand side, to the extent we can kind of gauge how um, much we pulled down inventories after the holiday or how we built up inventories after the holiday. We did get a cold storage report last week as well, which shows us inventory levels. Um, I will say butter inventories grew at a faster than normal clip. So we were up about 46% from December. We'd normally build butter inventories December to January, but it was a stronger than normal build. We are at the second highest ending stocks on record for butter in January. Um, That probably has weighed on butter market sentiment here over the last uh, week for sure. However, on cheese, the numbers came in um, different. We we typically build between December and January cheese inventories. And this year, we uh, USDA says, says we declined. I will say that this flies in the face a bit of anecdotal information we're picking up that uh, where, warehouses are pretty full out in the countryside. And, and again, that cheap milk I just noted um, so there is a chance that some of cheese is sitting in sort of secondary warehouses that aren't exactly um, part of these USDA numbers. So I guess keep that in mind. Um, in any case, the stocks um, were not as robust in January for cheese. So we'll be watching that report um, next month. Moving over to retail demand, it has been pretty rough going, um, both for cheese and butter. Retail sales have been a pretty lackluster. Um, over on the butter side, with retail prices topping $5 a pound and very little promotions, you can kind of see why that has been suffering. Um, over on cheese, there has been a little bit more promotional pricing. Um, demand there maybe hasn't been quite as bad as we have seen on the butter side. Um, we have seen some decent food service uh, numbers, uh, so that is offsetting the retail impact a bit. But. Um, And then over, I guess, outside of the U.S., and you heard this, a common theme with Shelby and Jake, is is all about China, because China is obviously another huge um, demand source for for dairy products. Um, We have been watching very closely. They were kind of on the sidelines for most of 2022. We've seen them come back at the global dairy trade events, those auctions out of Oceana. So they have been buying. um, They're not totally absent as the new year has started. Um, But other regions have fallen off enough and they haven't gotten aggressive enough to really push prices higher. Um, So again, same as with grains, all eyes are going to be on China moving forward. As we think about the U.S. consumer, obviously the state of the economy remains top of mind. Um, Food food inflation has not eased. all of us going to the grocery store, not seeing much uh, relief there. In fact, when you stack inflation figures for this January up against um, kind of the two-year rate, grocery prices are up, up almost 20% um, from this time in 2021. That's a lot. And as a result, we're seeing people buy a little bit less. Um, not a big, not a big um, surprise there. Part of the reason is that even though wage- Data is up, it, wages have not increased at the same rate as inflation. So, when you think about wages in an inflation adjusted um, situation, they just haven't kept up. So, people just don't have as much discretionary dollars. Um, they're buying what they need, but may not be throwing in that extra um, bag of shredded cheese or, or what, what, you know, the things they might have splurred, splurged on before. Um, one place folks do seem to still be splurging a little bit is uh, food service sales, as I mentioned. Um, I think we all got maybe a little tired of cooking at home. I know I did. Um, So food service sales have still been okay. Um, Numbers there have been fairly uh, decent. We'll have to see how that plays out um, in the months ahead for sure. I'll wrap up by saying um, just a friendly reminder for folks. Hopefully everybody signed up for USDA's dairy margin coverage program. We did just learn that the January rate will be $1.56 per hundredweight. Um, If you maxed out the 5 million pounds a year on that. That monthly payment will be somewhere around sixty five hundred dollars. So in the first month alone, it's going to almost pay for itself um, if you signed up for that program, and the payment rates in the months uh, ahead look to be you know two or three times actually that rate. So. Uh, Keep an eye on West United Update, we'll run estimates in there. And I also want to encourage folks, if you haven't already, to look at the Dairy Revenue Protection Program. It's a good way to get some milk price floors on out there in the latter part of the year. Um, There's just still a lot of risk out there as we've just spent a lot of time talking through. Um, The floor levels that are available are are high relative to history. Uh, So there's still some things to do uh, in the second half. So please reach out if you have any questions.
0: Well, thank you to all three of you guys for coming on and giving the producers an update.
3: You're welcome. Thanks for having us.
0: Yeah, happy to help. Pacific
1: Gas and Electric is here to remind you that signs keep you safe. Sections of our natural gas transmission pipeline travel underground and beneath agricultural land. For the safety of you, your family, and your employees, pipeline markers are placed to indicate the approximate location of the pipe as a reminder to use extra care. Removing a pipeline marker creates a serious safety hazard. To have additional markers placed or report damaged or missing markers, please call your PG&E account manager or our Agricultural Customer Service Center at 877-311-3276. To learn more, visit www.pge.com slash agsafety. Remember signs keep
2: you safe yosemite farm credit is the farmer's choice for agriculture financing as a farmer-owned cooperative we are dedicated to serving our neighbors in the agriculture community with financial products and services tailored to your operation and backed with the relationship you can trust whether you're purchasing real estate making improvements to the dairy or wanting to purchase or lease equipment we're here to help our members prosper Visit our website at yosemitefarmcredit.com to find a branch location nearest you.
0: Thank you to our partners at Everag for taking the time to come on the podcast to give an update and thank you to our listeners. If you would like notifications when a new episode is released, you can subscribe to the show. Have a great week. Thank you to the Western United Dairies generous business sponsors, The Morning Star Company, Holt of California, Farm Credit Alliance, PG&E, Arada, Swingle, Van Egmond and Goodwin Law Offices, Yosemite Farm Credit, F&R Ag Services, Moss Energy Works, California Dairy Magazine, Bennett Environmental, and Common Good Water. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support.